Good morning, my name is Sophia, and this morning our scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 5 through 10 from chapter 5 in the New International Version. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an internal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Wasn't that just the best scripture reading you've ever heard in your life? <laughs> Zero relation to her whatsoever. Uh, I, I want to just add my amen to our announcement today about free wheelchair mission. As you know, our church has a long history with it. And when I went on my uh, own trip with that, I... I uh, just want to share with you a couple of things that really hit me hard. One is, uh, it really heals people spiritually. And maybe Americans here have a hard time grasping this reality outside of us, but most countries out there believe that if you are born less than perfect, if you have a physical injury or you have a defect in any way whatsoever, they believe that you are cursed by God. And so there's a kind of shame, spiritual shame that you live with. And not just the person that's afflicted, but the whole family. And so it really meets people spiritually also. And then because of the shame-based cultures that are outside of the U.S., there is a kind of social scorn uh, that's experienced when somebody in your family, or if you're the one that's afflicted with something that keeps you from walking. And so you're relegated to hidden parts of the house, the physical house. And I remember when we went to this one house, we had to walk all the way around to the back in the dirt because this person was not in part. The homes were nothing, to, nothing you would pay money for here in this country. But even there was even a lower version of that house that this crippled person was living in. And uh, it's, it's a really sad and um, tragic way to exist. And so I just want uh, you to know just the many ways that free wheelchair mission hits um, the people that they're helping. And it's really worth your time and I think investigation if you don't know much about it. But it's, it's such an easy way to make high impact. And if you are an impact-oriented person, uh, this, is, this is a really good way to um, make that happen. Today we're going to talk about hope, and I want to start with a story. I have uh, so many body parts that hurt. I don't know where you're at, so we'll start with that survey right now. 
How many of you in this room, as far as you know of, have zero ailments that you're dealing with right now? We had like two the first service, and they were all like under the age of 10. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say if you're over the age of 10, you got something going on. Something that's just, you wish it wasn't like that, right, for whatever reason. How many of you have ailments that you're dealing with even right now? Like if you ask me how my elbow is doing, it hurts. I feel it. I'm just aware of my elbow right now. How many of you have something you're aware of right now? So this is most of you, and most of us are just kind of distracted. We live with sort of low-grade stress all the time. Right? We're managing, we're shifting, we're pondering the, you know, our state of life here. That's what it means to live here on this earth. And that's kind of the uh, focus of our sermon today is what does God think about our bodies? And why is it broken? How do we live with this? How do we think about this? How do we find hope for our physical bodies. Uh, I, I did a race yesterday, a paddleboard race around the island, and it was pretty intense for me. I set a new personal record, which meant that I was really exerting. And just for many, many miles, it's 12.75 total it turned out to be, I was just going, why am I doing this? If I call Susie right now, will she come pick me up? And will I get arrested for trespassing on this waterfront property? I, I was just having delirious thoughts. And all day yesterday and even today, I'm just aching. Like if you saw me back there, I was massaging the left side of my, my neck because I was pulling something and it just got funny on me. It doesn't take anything. I, I have a really hard existence in some ways, but there's always somebody worse. So back in college days when I was first getting into lifting, I uh, did deadlifts wrong. And I have now a, I've had this bulging disc between L4 and L5. And, you know, if you, if you have a bulging disc, it may or may not be the cause of your symptoms, but it's part of the whole picture somehow. So I can't sit is what I've learned. Just sitting is painful for me, especially like crisscross applesauce style. I can't do it. And then um, <clears throat> I sustained this injury while I was standing a few years ago. Because I couldn't sit, I started... I started standing at my desk. I was one of the first stand-up desk guys I knew. I made my own sort of pedestal and, you know, pulled my desk up. And uh, now I can't even do that. What happened is I was putting my right foot on a stool, which made me for like eight hours a day hyperextend my left knee and put all this weight just on that back stuff that's holding my knee together. And then it just won't go away now. And then all my running has aggravated. And so I always have to stand now with a little micro bend in my left knee. So if you had x-ray vision, you saw through my pants, you see my knees, left knee is a little bit bent. Always now. And so now uh, I have to get a, a treadmill to put under the desk. Right? So now I'm just walking all the time. And I have flat feet. So I'm really, really tired or in pain. And then I go home, and I'm tired from walking all day, and I lay down to sleep, and guess what? I can't sleep. I've never been able to fall asleep. So in fact, this week, I'm going to see a cognitive behavioral therapist for the first time, hoping that through my 
outside body, I can rewire the inside of my skull. You know, my brain needs to sort of relearn how to, my relationship to my bedroom and to my bed, I guess, matters. Because now I think about my bed and I just have dread because it's the place where I'm tortured for hours at a time because I can't fall asleep. Right? So I have a pre-reaction to my bed and bedtime. So I'm pretty messed up, but that's my existence. That's what it's like to be me. And my dang brain, it won't shut down. It's just thinking about stuff all the time. Like, it's not like anxious thinking. I'm not like wishing I had said something differently or I had this perfect line, but I missed it. It's not like that. I don't have like social anxiety like that. But I'm just trying to solve all the problems of the universe all the time. Like, I can't shut this guy down. It's really not fun being me. It is, and if you don't believe me, ask my family. I'm like this tortured beast of burden at home. You know? Just always multitasking. I can't just roast my coffee. I'm like listening to a podcast and making kombucha and roasting coffee and like vacuuming the stairs or something all at the same time. I can't stop. Churning, churning, burning. And I say that because it's just, it's just me. It's what it's like to be me here on earth at this time in this body. On top of all that, I feel a deep discomfort about being male these days, you know, with all the Me Too stuff and all the quote-unquote toxic masculinity getting unmasked. And a lot of it, I'm like, yeah, it's about time. You know, I have sisters. I got daughters. I want them to grow up in a world where women's voice are just as valid as men's and blah, 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 all that. But now what that means for me is if another kid, like not my kid, another kid falls down in the playground and face plants somewhere, I'm running the other way. I'm not helping that kid at all because I don't want to be accused. I don't want some mom to be like, hey, what are you doing, you pervert? And then I'm, no, 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 I'm just, I'm uncomfortable being me. What about you? How do you feel in your body, in your existence? What's it like for you? You like the way you look? You happy? The number you see when you step on a scale, you like that number? Your height? You count your wrinkles? What about all the disease you could get? Isn't that fun to think about? What's coming? 23andMe, I took this DNA test a couple of years ago, and it wants to tell me what I'm going to get later on in life. I don't want to, I haven't read that section on purpose. <laughs> You know? So um, I don't know this woman. I just learned about her this week from my kids. She's apparently a Canadian model. Um, but she's got the skin condition, the same one that Michael Jackson had. And her pigmentation is disappearing. And it's just sort of a visual stark reminder to me of the, uh, the, how shallow our categories are, how much of a construct race is. I myself learned that I'm not the Korean man I thought I was. I'm only half Korean. I'm 40% what I was taught to despise, Japanese, because they occupied Korea and all that. We got this history that I don't really relate to emotionally, but there it is, and I'm 40% that. You know, I, it's just sort of eth ethnicity-wise, I have no home. 
Culturally, I have no home. You know, I don't know where I belong. And here she is. I think, where does she belong? Where does she? By the way, just so you know, I did debate about whether this picture showed too much skin or not. But showing skin was the point. And so uh, I just want you to see just how she can look white. If I just zoomed in on a part of her skin, she looks white. And then if I zoom in on another part, she looks black. Paul, we know uh, from in this passage and in other texts, he really cares about our physical bodies. It matters to God, our physical bodies. It's not just that we live in them and we care about it because we have nerve endings and we have a mirror or something, but God himself really cares about our bodies for two reasons that the Bible teaches us. One because we, as in our physical form, we are made in God's image. God is spirit, no doubt. The Bible teaches that. But that image of God in spirit somehow translates, transposes downward to how we look physically. And to underscore that point, the Bible teaches, secondly, that we, our physical bodies, are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. That it matters what we do with our bodies and to our bodies. Our bodies don't belong to us. One of my favorite preachers, Smith uh, Wigglesworth, he used to, whenever he said goodbye to a friend of his, he would grab them if they were wearing a jacket by the collar, sort of shake them down a little bit and say, hey, take care of your body. You're going to have to answer to God one day. Really, self-care, physical self-care is a spiritual issue. And if you don't do it and you start degrading physically, you know it affects you spiritually, emotionally. And then when you take care of yourself physically, it impacts you, lifts you up physically. Right? And so we know that our bodies matter. But our bodies aren't everything. The body isn't the whole person. Right? Somehow we're all connected. I like to do an amputation test to prove my point on this. Like if I lost a hand... Am I less Peter? Are you going to call me something else? Because I'm not like really Peter anymore. If I lost an arm, if I lost the other arm, you know, like a Monty, Monty Python sketch, like if I lost all my limbs, am I still Peter? Yeah, I am. You're still going to call me Peter. So what's the essence of what it means to be a human being? And I think that's why when you just reduce me to my physical traits, you know, I've had two experiences of overt racism on this island when somebody called me something and told me to go back to something, you know. When they do that, even though I grew up in New York City, grow, growing up around that uh, kind of um, sort of uh, persecution, I still hurt from it because I know I am more than just my physical appearance, you know, age is just a number and body is just my physical form, what you interact with in some ways. But there is a, a sort of another me inside. And that me feels trapped in this body and trapped in this age. So what am I? What is she? What are you? You know, and I'm learning these days that people are not their politics either. You could vote A or you can vote B. That's not who you are. That's not who we are. Just a quick example of this, because I think it's so fascinating. I'm having the staff and the leadership team deep dive into this a little bit, because I want our church to be a space, 
a space that we hold where people can sit at the table with differing views and come and be a body together. So, you know, learning about uh, politics and why some people are right and some people are left and so forth, learning that there's an unmistakable correlation between our disgust scores and the politics we think we're choosing. There's hard wiring in our brains that determine our political preferences. Think about that for a second. You think you're this sophisticated, philosophical being who have values and a worldview, and that's why you are right, and that's why you are left. The Bible says this, and the Bible says that. Turns out it's just what you're born with in some ways. And that the brain rewires itself, that your disgust score actually goes higher the first time you have a kid. And then by the time you have your second kid, it goes back down again. And you know this to be true because your second kid had ice cream earlier than your first kid did. <laughs> you have more pictures of your first kid than your second kid, than your third kid, than your fourth kid. Because your disgust scores are changing. The way you feel about the world and what feels like it's a threat to you, it changes. So we're, we're complicated and we're simple at the same time. We live in this on planet earth, in our bodies. But what the heck are we? How does God see us? How do we have hope for our life in this body and in our body politic today? That's the topic. So first, identity. Verse 2 says this. Meanwhile, oh, so beautiful. Sometimes I just love the Bible. This is one of those moments. Meanwhile, what is, what, meanwhile, what, meanwhile, do you understand the Bible is acknowledging this tension we live in right now. We are not as we will be. We are not as we should be, but we are on our way. Meanwhile, we're not eating yet, but there's a feast waiting for us. Our bodies are breaking down, but it won't always be. We're going to have a transformed body. We're going to see each other so differently. Meanwhile, we are living in the meanwhile can we just take a moment to acknowledge this tension that we live in right now? Do you feel the stress in your body and in, your, in our society? Do you feel it in our world? Have we arrived? Are we at the destination? Please communicate back to me a little bit. The sermons get longer. If I don't hear from you, I'm going to repeat myself. That's the way it goes. Meanwhile, could you, okay, let's, I hate preachers who do this. Let's say this. One, two, three. Meanwhile. What are we doing meanwhile? Meanwhile, we groan. Do you like the political situation in our country? So we groan. Do you like your, do you absolutely love your marriages? <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that. Do you think there's room for improvement? <laughs> Meanwhile, we groan. <laughs> Do you like the number you see when you step on the scale? Meanwhile, we groan and we moan and we bemoan. <laughs> there it is, number staring back at us. Our kids, our social life. Everything that we experience in this here now life, there's something, some ways, somehow it can be better. So we 
groan. And the meanwhile we groan is an expression. It's an it's a outward expression of this thing that's inward. What is the inward thing? It's what the Bible calls longing. You see that? Longing. Meanwhile, we groan longing. And I want to submit to you that every single human being on planet Earth that has ever lived has a longing inside of them. And I want to submit to you that this longing is the evidence, the key evidence of the existence of God. And the Bible teaches this, and I'm going to show it to you. In this context here today, longing equals the Holy Spirit. That because God's Spirit is in us, we experience this longing. Because we are made in God's image, like long time ago, like primordial, just long, long, whenever existence started, God imagined us. And he made us in his image. But we don't look like that now. We don't work like that now. And so somehow innately we are born with the ability to compare and contrast what we are and what we should be. What we were meant to be. And this is what some people call human consciousness. And most scientists will tell you, admit, that we observe human consciousness to be absolutely unique in all of created creation. In all of reality, human consciousness is unique. That nothing else exists and then is aware of its existence and then questions its existence because it compares it to an existence that doesn't exist. You amputate a dog's leg. They don't know. They forget. They don't ask. They don't wonder, why do I have to live with three legs? All these other dogs have four. They don't do that as far as we can observe. So using the same grid we use to observe a human being and say, this human being is demonstrating some sort of discontentment. They're comparing and contrasting what they are to what they ought to be. They have somehow a vision of, of how things are supposed to be, and they're unhappy about that. We use that same set of observational skills to observe a dog, and as wonderful as dogs are, they don't demonstrate that. And so we conclude that maybe human consciousness is different than a dog's consciousness. And if you look further, scientists have broken down. There's different levels of consciousness, you know, like a rock and a tree. Tree's more conscious than a rock, yeah, Right? So there's, there's a whole spectrum to it. But we are at the top. And I'm telling you, what keeps us at the top is the fact that we have a longing. And this is universal. You don't have to be a religious person. You don't have to believe in God or the Bible to understand that you have a longing. And a good question, I think, a fair question is, where does it come from? Why do you have a longing? How do you know your body's not supposed to be broken? And I think the Bible says that's God's spirit in all of us. God made us in his image, and we are a temple of the Holy Ghost, and we have this longing. We feel it. Oh, we so feel it. And in our text, it tells us this. It says it this way. For while we, were, we are in this tent, we groan. We do. In tent, this... 
uh, it means our bodies here, our physical body. We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed. We feel exposed and naked right now. We know we don't have the permanent clothing. So we long, uh, we don't want, wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we know that it's, things aren't supposed to be the way they are. And the Bible tells us if you have the Holy Spirit living inside, if you really are a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's a guarantee that that longing is going to be satisfied. Our longings point to a truer identity, a purpose underneath every other purpose, a final form. Can you imagine that day when your hair is not going gray? When this bicycle tube I've had around my waist, my whole life is gone, and I have the six-pack I was always meant to have? What will that be like? What will it be like when all my relationships are fully reconciled and there isn't anxiety in them anymore? What will it be like when there's no corruption, no ulterior motives? What will it be like? What will it be like when finally every knee is bowing to a higher authority saying, I am not God? And I'm not going to try. When testosterone plus power doesn't equal me too anymore, what will that day be like? I don't know how it's going to get there, but this passage tells me it's coming and it's going to happen and I'm going to be on the receiving end of the kingdom of God here on earth. But meanwhile, we groan, longing. I think it's so important not to ignore this longing. We ignore it, you know. We think it's just some feeling. We think it's just wishful thinking. You know, we think it's childlike to have dreams. But I want to tell you, I think the most real thing, the truest thing is your longing. In fact, it is who you are. The, the clearest, the clearest way to describe who you are is through your longings. That's your identity. Because that's God's spirit in you. That's God's image in you. More than the personality you live in now, there is a perfect personality that you long for, the perfect person you long to be, and that's who you truly are. When we love each other and accept each other, we're not accepting each other as we are right now. I mean, we do that as a way to hold out hope for the true you that we know you to be. We love the image of God in you. That's who we are rooting for. That's who we envision you to be. It's what the Bible calls shalom, peace, righteousness, rightness at last. You know, when you break down in your car because life is overwhelming you and you pull over maybe and you just start just cry and you just weep. 
let it all out. Right there at that moment, that's your true self. When everything else just fades and you let go and you're not white-knuckling life anymore, just break down and say, oh, God, this hurts so much. This sucks so much. It's not supposed to be this way. That is God in you. Longing is the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, I think, is really powerful. It says, for we live by faith and not by sight. And this existence of faith or longing, uh, it's, it's not the soft stuff that you may have mistaken faith to be. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The fact that you have a longing, the fact that you're able to have vision for something that's invisible, that is proof, that is the evidence of God. That's the evidence that heaven is real. The things, the form of things as we know it is passing. It's just a placeholder. You understand? C.S. Lewis uh, really, I think, did, a, did the very best job I've ever heard any uh, apologist talk about this. He says this, and I've said this so many times here. You can say it along with me, I think. But he said, if a man is hungry... It does not prove that he will get bread, but it does prove that he was meant to eat. Okay, stop, pause. Think about that. If you did not have a stomach and you don't have the capacity or the need to eat, would you feel hunger? No. Okay, what do you feel right now that you're not meant to feel? Nothing, because you don't feel it. You can't answer that question. You know what I'm saying? But you feel hunger. That's proof that you have a stomach, that your body has a metabolic process that wants to break down the bread and translate it into your cells so that your cells can burn that sugar for energy. It wants to do it. It was made to do it. It doesn't prove that you're going to get the bread but it does prove that eating is a thing. Now, why do you have longing, C.S. Lewis says? The fact that you have faith to see something that's invisible is proof. You understand? That's not natural, unless it is natural. The supernatural is actually natural. It's so profound but simple and understandable, in my opinion. And he goes on to say, fish. Does a fish ever suddenly become conscious of wetness? Does it ever say, oh my gosh, this feels so gross all of a sudden. I I think there's something called dry, dry land. And if a fish ever did do that, it's pointing to the fact that maybe a fish was meant to be on dry land. Otherwise, it would never become suddenly aware of water. And then C.S. Lewis says, if you are truly just the end product of a materialistic process, 
If that's all you are, why would you ever be surprised by time? Why would you say, oh my goodness, how time flies? You would not be aware of time or measure time because you just are a product of time. You came to be through time, right? Unless, of course, God has said eternity in your heart. And you're comparing time, which is temporal, right, to eternity, which God has deposited in you. And I'm telling you, God has put eternity in everybody's hearts. That's the longing. That's the faith. Human consciousness, to me, is evidence that God exists. Not only that God exists, but that I was meant for God. And if I believe this, if I put my trust in this, that I will have God. Not only will I be hungry for bread, I will receive the bread of life. That is the promise. So two applications here. Number one, I want to invite you to look to the invisible. Romans 1 appeals to this kind of logic. Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, you know, you look around, you see creation. How can you deny that creation itself is an arrow pointing to a creator, to God himself? How can you deny this? Of course it's true. Why would you ignore your feelings on this? Why would you ignore your intuition, your gut check on this? You go, it literally takes your breath away when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. I hope to find out someday. I've never been there. I want to get there. But I know my jaw will drop. And the fact that my jaw drops tells me that that's God's wind in me. That's God's spirit escaping from my mouth. That's what Romans 1 says. And then number two, your conscience. You have a conscience, Romans says. Why would you deny conscience? When you feel like what you did is wrong, why would you think it's wrong if we're just strong, eat the weak, survival of the fittest? If that's all there is, how can you know? Why would you even have the word wrong in your vocabulary? Nothing is wrong. At that moment, you were the stronger one, so you ate the weak. That's the only way you should think if you are a simple byproduct of a materialistic process. And yet you have a conscience. I'm sorry. Why would the word sorry ever exist? Unless you're Canadian, of course, then it's necessary. <laughs> sorry? <laughs> That's from my Canadian friend back there. <clears throat> so I want to invite you to stop suppressing your feelings, your conscience, your mind. <clears throat> you have an inkling, you have a suspicion, you have a splinter in your mind, as Matrix says. Or if you're a Star Wars fan, trust your feelings, Luke. It's telling you something. It's pointing to something. Second, I want to invite you to live in the visible. Verse 9 says, so we make it our goal to please him in the body. So you have to give an account to God for how you lived in the physical world. You know why? Because Revelation, which we're going to do as a series uh, later on, tells us that heaven doesn't just, we don't go to heaven. Do you know this? The Bible doesn't ever say that. I don't know why we think that. 
It's like the three wise men thing. There are no three wise men. It just says wise men. Somehow we got three. Did you know that? Little factoid. It's also true that there's nowhere in the Bible where we go up to heaven. Actually, Revelation says heaven comes down to earth. It drops down. We're going to live on a new earth and enjoy a new heaven. So that means that if you believe yourself to be a future citizen of heaven, you're going to take care of heaven because heaven is here and now. This is the beginning of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so Christians of all people, if you believe yourself to be citizens of heaven, you're going to be the very best citizens of earth. You should be the ones leading the charge, for example, in the recycling movement. Why would we set up for just four trash cans at a restaurant when we should have 12? There's so many different ways to recycle. I'm just joking. I, I'm, so many people just stand there and read all the signs, the micro-instructions about what to put where. I'm not saying all the recycling is good. I've done some deep diving into this. I know that it's really beneficial to recycle glass and metal, but that it's really questionable whether recycling plastic helps. I know this to be true. I also know that if you have a canvas grocery shopping bag that you buy to use over and over again, you have to use it a number of times that you never will to justify its existence. That pl using plastic bags are actually more environmentally friendly than canvas bags. Did you know this? Because no person ever hits that number. But it doesn't matter. I digress. <laughs> the point is, the intention to love the earth should be led by people who believe in the Bible. We should be leading the physical self-care movement. Christians should be leading the sciences regarding the mind, psychiatry, psychology. We should be the ones leading the charge on that because we care about physical things. God cares about physical things. That's why free wheelchair mission matters. The book of James teaches that. If you say, be well, prayers and thoughts on Facebook, we all know how insincere that is if you're not physically doing something. You have to meet people at their physical point of need because our bodies is where we experience hope for ourselves. The message of Jesus' love for me doesn't enter my physical years unless you help me with my physical existence. I mean, I hate to lead, you know, the Gill family on in this way, but I've been thinking about just how we treat animals. Is it really okay to treat animals the way we treat them? Do they have a place in God's eternal vision? I think they do. And it's really making me question, like, food and zoos and just my feelings about pigeons and rats on Mercer Island and, you know, raccoons. I don't love raccoons, I got to say. But live in the visible because you're going to give an account for it to God. We conclude with this uh, passage, but I want to just give you a chance to uh, catch up to something. I'm going to, during our prayer time, I'm going to invite you to pray for the physical healing of your bodies today. And so as I'm reading this, just make a list of all the parts that are hurting, that if, if Jesus came to you, stood before you, looked you in the eyes and said, what do you want me to do for you? You've got to really answer that. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I want to pray for that today.
I mean, physically, you know, the answers in the Bible are, I want to see, I want to walk. What do you want, physically speaking? So let me read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I want to give you some context for this passage. Much of this is talking about physicality, about creation itself, literal creation. That we need to be reconciled to God physically. We have a gap. We are in our pain and in the brokenness, the sin that's separating us physically from God and his vision for us. And it goes not just to our physical bodies, but the way we physically relate to each other, the body politic. And politics in our country, it's killing our body right now. Man, I don't care what positions you have. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that's only 5%. There's 95% of the things that we share in common. We have to figure out a way to sit at the table and to love each other. In fact, if we can't love each other now, it wasn't really love before. It was just agreement. That's what the Bible says. Anybody can love a friend, but it's the enemy. That's when love shows itself as love. If anybody's going to pay you back, that's not giving them money. To give, you can't expect anything. To love, it has to be your enemy. And so let's pray. Let's stand in this gap, this meanwhile. Let's groan these prayers together that, that emerge from our longing from the invisible made visible through our longings. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> God, I, I love this church. I love every person here, and I know that's nothing compared to your love for them. And so, God, hear their thoughts. Enter into their feelings and their sense of hope about their physical bodies. Each person here in this room, judging by the first survey, we all have something that we're hurting on, just some part that's not working right, some disease, some condition, some trauma. So God, we name this to you right now. Would you name it to God? Say, God, I long for this in me to be healed. From the crowns of our heads to the soles of our feet, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, move through our bodies and touch those hurting parts. Make contact with us in our bodies. We want to be reminded of your love and forgiveness as you heal our bodies. So in Jesus' name, be healed. Church, in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, be healed. Amen.